What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is your host, Rashil Patnala. I am super pumped for today's episode. I have with me Nicholas Cordero. We are going to talk everything about his art career and how he got started. But first, let me give you guys a little brief into who Nick is. Nicholas Cordero is a Boston-based artist, designer, and poet now living in New York City. Nicholas graduated from Boston College in 2019 with a bachelor's degree in finance and studio art. Upon graduation, Nick began his career as a financial software consultant where he worked directly under C-suite executives, assisting them in optimizing their business practices before he eventually made his way back into the art world. Influenced by philosophy, theology, and transcendental meditation, Nicholas's work can be described as a mesh between cubism and neo-expressionism while leveraging surrealist and primitive undertones. Nick, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. I appreciate you coming on. I remember the last time we tried to record an episode, it was March 30th of 2023, earlier this year in Austin. And now we're in New York. Feels good to be yep. here. We are. In yeah, this- it was my last few days in Boston. I remember. Yes, you were moving here too. Um, man, what a year. What a year it's been. It feels as if 2023 has been several lifetimes, several years in one year. Yeah, but all at the same time, it feels like one week. One really long week. Yes, yes. Awesome. So I would like to start this conversation off with... I was hoping you could talk about when you were homeless and kind of what that experience was like and how it led you to where you are today in terms of your art career and finishing up college. Yeah. So, um, categorically, I don't want to, I, I, you know, I didn't have a, a set home to be at, so mm-hmm. um, I would say I was homeless, but I, I will say that I always had a, somewhere to go. I, I always was able to stay with people. Um, growing up, my family situation was a bit different than a lot of people that I knew. Um, I ran away from home when I was about 11 years old, and things were a bit rocky between staying at my dad's house and staying just elsewhere. Um, My dad wasn't around a lot. Uh, He was away for months at a time. And so there was not really anything at home. There was nothing to do there, nothing, no reason to be there. There wasn't food there. There wasn't really, so I was always staying elsewhere. Um, It wasn't also the best situation at my house. So getting into college um really that was the best way that i could get like my own my own space my my dorm room was like my home for a while um those four years but like when i would go home for say december break or 
summer break, I would stay with friends, make sure that I was always busy, make sure I was working. I think the opportunity of having nothing was really advantageous for me later in life. I think having nothing has always granted me the ability to have more things than everyone else. Because in my perspective, just having nothing, I've already gone through the struggle of losing everything because I never had it. Uh, so every every moment of of gaining anything is a blessing. It's always been a blessing to just have a bed, have a meal, have have an experience, um, have a feel. I agree. So, can you walk me through applying to college? What was that like? And did you know yeah. that you wanted to pursue studio art? in college as well or was that something that came concurrently while studying finance so i i've been drawing since i was a really young kid i i had been drawing since i was probably two or three years old my older brother was a pretty talented illustrator and i would used to trace his drawings to try to understand what made a line the way that it was and for me drawing wasn't something that i really looked at as more of anything other than like a cool thing that you could do like skateboarding really like i it wasn't something that i looked at as monetary so i i didn't really put myself out there in in the sense of art i you know i applied to art schools after college and i just did it just because it was one of these things where it was like yeah maybe but I didn't, I, I didn't envision myself going to any of those schools. I got into like maybe one or two and I didn't envision going to any of them because there was for me, no functional reality in it. Like what, what was I going to make out of that? Um, so I went to, I, I applied to schools that I thought were going to give me something that I never had that, that financial stability. Like I could always draw. I could always, always be able to express myself in that way. No one can ever take that away from me, but like I can gain something from this. I can get some way of like, you know, making people around me a home or make myself a home. Um, so, you know, applying to school was weird. Like I had no help. I had to do all the financial aid stuff for myself and I was really lucky enough. And like I said, having nothing has been very advantageous to me in life. Um, I got pretty much a full ride to Boston College just because, you know, um, it was need-based scholarships and I was, I had nothing. So it was really cool. I, I have no burden now after going to school of like, you know, it's like $70,000 a year to go there. So, yes. yeah, I, I, so I went there. They gave me the most money. They, they took care of me. Um, and it was just different. It was very different. And once I got to school, I was really shocked at the level of intellectuality I was seeing around me. People were really smart. Where I went to high school, it's not that people weren't smart. I just, I, I didn't try. I didn't need to try. I used to miss school very often and not really care. And I would never do homework outside of school. And I had a over a 4.0. It was just very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, school had already always come easy to me, but once I got to college, it was really hard. School had become really hard. 
Um, and so like finance was really just something that I was studying because I got into the business school and it seemed that like, you know, I could do this, I can make a lot of money. And like, that just seems realistic. Um, I had a friend, a really close friend of mine, um, from high school, we went to BC together and he studied finance as well. And we just kind of did that. And then as a core class, you have to take an art class. Um, there's a lot of different choices you can take. You can take like, um, I think you can take like theater or you can take like pottery or you can take painting. I took illustration, uh, one-on-one and, um, the teacher, I can't remember her name, but she, she told me at the end of the semester that she would be very upset with me if I didn't pursue art in, in a more serious manner. Um, cause it was really just like art one-on-one is just uh, learning perspective how to draw and how to look. So understanding essentially like a lot of it is just doing um, still lifes. And so like to that event, it's, it's understanding the fundamental principles of drawing, just like, you know, shading form and learning how to look at something and be able to replicate it. And I, I was good at it and it wasn't something that I'd ever done before. Everything before is just like from my own head. I don't like, I, I kind of like just draw. Um, so Right. It was an accident. Uh, the, getting back into art was an accident. But even mm -hmm. after that, I just kind of stopped. I didn't really paint until 2021, December. Right. We will get to that. So just to reiterate, you were always drawing, creating as a child. Fast yeah. forward, you progress through middle school and high school, and then you get to BC. At BC, when you arrive, you're mainly studying finance, but it wasn't until an art teacher really pushed you where you rekindled yeah. that love for art. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at that point too, shout out to that teacher. I had she must have also saw found something this new. What? Say that I again. Um, shout out to that teacher. She must yeah. have they saw something in you i know i know shout out to her um the art program at bc was interesting but uh shout out to her i i do respect her um for saying what she had to say to me she wasn't always maybe the nicest individual but that's that's probably what made me respect her even more because she genuinely told me her opinion so yeah and at the same time i actually started really delving into i studied theology in college and that's where like honestly all of the things in my in the themes and the work kind of play into each other in in theology um and so like they made us take a philosophy uh class and take a theology class and so i actually started getting a minor in theology because of the first class that i took um it was just fascinating to me mm -hmm. you mentioned that your art teacher had a very strong opinion. And I wanted to ask you, as someone who is an artist and who is constantly creating, how do you react to other people's opinions of your work that might not be how do you react to other people's opinions of your work who, if they don't like it per se? I think 
it's more than welcomed. I think the the work itself is something irregardless of observation. I, I mean, I would make it even if it didn't anyone didn't see it. There's probably fifty paintings that no one's ever seen that sit in my various studios because they're not for you yet. And so, I guess the opportunity of critique is it's always there. It's just like, how do you deal with walking outside and having someone not like the way you look? I mean, that's mm. okay. I think that it's not for them. I think that it might be for them in that same right. I think that a reaction's a reaction. I think that it worked. I think the work is supposed to make you feel something. If you don't like it, that's what it was supposed to do. Mm. That's a good way of... Um looking at it as the analogy that you said of walking outside and someone not liking you per se, because I think what stumps a lot of people who want to maybe put their creative work out there, whether it's art or writing or making music is in the early stages, there is a little bit of vulnerability in terms of just maybe expressing a side of them that their peer group or, people might not know of them and also continuing to produce that work regardless of whether that work is liked or disliked yeah but the, i think the, the important thing to to really pay attention there within that conversation is that why are you making the work then if you're so upset about people judging it a certain way why are you making the work you never wanted to make the work for yourself it had nothing to do with you it was only for them and then there's that's a good reason to put down the work the work isn't for anyone else Mm -hmm. you're working for something that no one else can see it's it's in my opinion all of it's beyond understanding of of someone outside of it you can try to understand as much as you want but it's not for you it's you can you can step into my world and and see see what goes on you can you can try to read the lore behind anything that i've done or whatever you'll never be there you'll never get it mm-hmm. it doesn't matter yes i think as long as that we are making work for ourselves things that we enjoy and we are internally driven someone else will like it too and someone else would like it too. And it's okay if not everyone likes it. But I wanted to segue this conversation into my next question, which is what advice would you have for someone wanting to be an artist? Because I think living in New York is a little bit different because here it's more at least from what i've seen it's more normal to say hey i'm an artist i'm a writer i do this and that versus maybe in other cities it is not quite the norm to introduce yourself like that and i think a lot of people so um have an or a lot of people don't realize that we as humans can be multidimensional and do multiple mm-hmm. things. So I guess I will let you answer that before I ask the next question. I think like 
if you want to be an artist. There's no difference between being an artist and not being one. It's all about, I guess, telling yourself that you're an artist. It's it's practicing the practice of being an artist. It's, in my opinion, being an artist is being like a doctor. It's it's doctors don't know everything. Neither do artists, especially about their own trade. And that's why it's a practice. That's why you join a practice. Um, and I think that practicing is what makes you the artist. It's about participating. It's not about winning. It's about it's about participating and practicing whatever it is that you deem as the way you express yourself. That's what makes an artist. And I think, I guess, if you're talking about in a more tangible sense that people recognize and people respect you as the artist, people will if you respect yourself as the artist. That's the important thing. Once you start walking around introducing yourself as what you are, that's what you will be. That's, I think that's really the most important thing. Like, but if you're talking about really the struggle of say getting a studio, just, you know, becoming an artist, making it happen, getting into galleries, talking with, you know, other artists, getting advisors to take you seriously. It's the same thing. It's just work. It's work and practice and it's consistency and it's believing in yourself as what you say you are. Because if you don't believe in yourself, you can never sell it to anyone else. Right. Um, because if you don't believe in yourself, then who will? Yeah, why would they? Who Who would? Exactly. I don't want to buy anything that you don't you don't absolutely believe in. I think the the most important thing about being the artist, and I think the only people that are successful being artists are those who don't give up, the ones that didn't stop. There's artists out there who have been painting for 10, 15 years, and then they're just like, well, this isn't working, and they stop. What if the break was 50 years in? What if that's when they start selling for for millions? That's when they they, they start getting recognized. You don't know when it's going to happen. You know, Van Gogh lived his whole life as a poor nothing until later, it, after he had already died, people had recognized his, his pure beauty and everything that he was creating, his genius. But they looked at him as crazy in his time, you know? So you you could never know. You have no clue the impact that your work will have in 3,000 years. So, so why stop making it? I'm making my work for the next generation of people. I don't care if you like it today. Right. That reminds me of a statistic I came across on Picasso. It was saying that Picasso lived for a total of 33,000 days and or roughly speaking 33,000 days and within that he published 26,000 works so that's about an average of one new piece of artwork every day of his life from 20 until 91 and it just goes to show with any endeavor whether it be art or business or any pursuit just goes to show the power of consistency and not giving up and continuing to push even when things seem like they are falling apart and eventually you will have your break whatever that means you know i think that means different things for different people i don't think that the the boat is for everyone meaning that I don't think everyone gets to be in the museum, even if you're consistent. 
even if you try and hard mm-hmm. as you hard and everything you could possibly do. Some people just, the boat never came for them. It's not mm-hmm. that you missed the boat. The boat just never came. I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of times in life where you have to choose on some things that, that seem most realistic. And obviously if lately I've been choosing what's most realistic as the things that I like the most, but I think that, there's also a lot of averages in that. And I don't think that everyone gets to be great. And I think that um, it takes a lot of who you are as a person to be great. And I think that being different from everyone else is very challenging in order to be great. Mm-hmm. Could you dive deeper into that? What do you mean? Yeah, I think, I think that being different from everyone else in the sense of like, mm-hmm. no, I, I don't want to go out. I want to go to the studio until six in the morning. I don't want to talk on the phone. I don't, I, I don't want to go for drinks. I want to go paint. I don't want to, to, to do whatever it is that you, most people want to do. I, I have like a, I feel like I, I work a lot. I work a lot on different things. I feel like I'm always working. Everything is work to me. I think that not in the sense of work as in a workaholic, but I think that my life is work. It's just, I'm trying and trying to achieve something greater than myself, apart from myself. I'm trying to make a work that someone will, will feel the second they walk into the room. Mm -hmm. And I think a part of that is like losing a piece of, of what, I guess the, the normalcy of what a human does in the day, you know, and I don't sleep like a normal person does. I don't eat like a normal person does. I don't like my days are different. And I think I, that's, that's a lot of giving up, you know, giving up things. Mm-hmm. You are ultimately sacrificing things, but what might seem odd or peculiar to others is normal to you because you are yeah. ultimately back to our earlier point, internally driven, right? And the things that you are doing are important to you. And if it's important, then you are going to get it done no matter what at all costs. Yeah. I'm, I just, I feel like I woke up starving, but not for food. I just like life. I want everything, whatever right. it is. Right. And so for the people who are listening to this episode, I was hoping that you could give a, just like a general broad overview into the art industry slash art world, because you mentioned talking to advisors, getting into museums, galleries. And I think, and even for me up until about maybe a year and a half ago, if it wasn't just meeting certain people or just also following my natural curiosities, I would not have known how any of this works within the art industry. And this is just as someone who is a supporter of the arts and is just curious and loves the creativity behind it. But I was hoping, Nick, that you could kind of just give a broad overview as a professional artist, kind of like how does the art industry work for people who might not be aware of what it is? I mean, I think there's a lot of different layers to that. But like as a super broad discussion on it, yeah, at a high level, it's just it's about knowing people. Mm-hmm. it's the work is really important and right. I think the work will be recognized no matter what. 
I think the places where the work is recognized most before knowing people is in very prestigious BFA programs. Programs like you're going to Pratt or you're going to Parsons. These, these are really good art schools in New York. There's also tons of other art schools across the country that BFAs genuinely do matter, meaning that there's a lot of, in there's a mass art, um, which is a pretty great college for art. Um, and there's tons more, but at the, at, at any event, BFA isn't always important. BFA is important if you're someone who is a artist that is coming from a, in educational artistry background and I'm not coming from that. Yeah. I, I studied art in school, but it was at a very, a, a very simple level. I, I don't think that I earned anything to say that I, I went to school for art. Yes, I did, but it, I, you know, I, I didn't go to an art school. My school had an art program that I, you know, was in <laughs> and I majored in, but it's, it's very different. Um, in my opinion. And so there's that lane, but then there's the lane of the, that anyone can become an artist. Right. And I'm going to pause you now, when you're mentioning BFAs, you're talking about a bachelor's in fine arts. In fine arts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. BFAs or an MFA. So a master's in fine arts. Yes. Um, So that's back one, the traditional, go to academia to pursue mm-hmm. art route now a lot of gallerists will go to shows at those mm-hmm. schools and find artists in order mm-hmm. to basically farm or curate new shows for emerging artists in new york especially mm-hmm. right right so now i'm assuming that the someone who might be listening to this who is interested in becoming an artist is probably going to be in track two without the traditional credentials or route. Um, I was hoping you could kind of elaborate a bit more on that route and maybe give some advice that you may have for someone wanting to be a, or become a professional artist. Yeah. Um, this is like, I have like really radical opinions on stuff like this, but like, this is just how I feel about it. Start small, but start huge. And what I mean by that is you don't need to be thinking about your, your work is worth a million dollars immediately. You don't need to be thinking about um, that you need a studio. You need um, all of these types of uh, tools that you need everything under the sun that's what i mean by start small and then what i mean by start big is that i mean the actual size of the work create large works in order to explore what you understand as as how you're feeling how you're trying to express yourself i think a large work will greatly show your knowledge of functional painting or creating illustrating whatever it might be Um, But it will also give you a better understanding of how you create things at scale. Um, Do you like large works? Um, So that's, that's first to me. And then it's really, I think it's, how bad do you want it? Bukowski has a a poem called, you know, if if you're going to do something, go all the way. Um, You know, that might mean 
being homeless. That might be mean sleeping on a, a bench. That might mean freezing. That might mean losing relationships. That might mean losing your mind. But it'll be the the greatest ride into sunset that you could ever ride. It'll be it'll be laughs all the way there. To do it and to go all the way is to is to live real life. And so like if you want it, the, the only really way on the second path is to become neurotic, to fall in love with your your torturer and, and the work will torture you. Um, it's to continue to work and work and work until you're tired. And then after you're tired, you should be working more because there's always going to be someone that's better than you. And there's always going to be someone that's worked harder than you have and had more than you had. And so you have to work harder. Um, and you have to really fall in love with the work. Fall in love with the work aside from everything else. Don't let anyone get in the way of the work. Um, I think that's really like the mental place that you have to be at in, in that second lane. But also in from like a physical sense, you have to network. You have to go to openings. Go to openings in this city. It really, really importantly, like for people in New York, go to gallery openings all over the city. Go to like when the artist is going to be there and talk to them. Become friends with them not become friends with them in an exchange where you don't want anything from them other than their, their kindness, other than their, their energy, because they're artists too. You don't want, you, you don't want to take things from them. You don't want to just like talk to people to grab connections. So the, the networking in the art world should really be about love. Just talk to people, care about people's work, really dive into other people's understanding of work and have them talk to you Bring people in that you meet to critique your work, people that you meet at galleries, people that you meet at events related to art. Things, it's really important to have people see your work. It's really important not only to have people see your work, but to comment on it, to talk about it, to, to be able to have an understanding for yourself how your work is going to be received. Once you're in these conversations, like you'll get to start meeting people. Really, like, I went to one gallery opening at the beginning of this year, and I met one person, and it's changed everything. How so? But it's not like, it's not like this, it was just another artist. Mm -hmm. I just met so many new people. I've met gallerists, I've met curators, I've met art advisors from one person, and all I met was another artist. I didn't ask for anything. This was, and this was at an opening of a show at ATM gallery called, um, I, I don't remember what the show was called, but the artist showing there was named Francisco Tavoni. He was originally a photographer and he started making these very beautiful um, colored photos, but also I, I, you'll have to look at it. It's very, it, they're photos, but they look like paintings. They feel like paintings. They're way different. They're not, he puts a bunch of filters over each other. So it no longer looks like a photo of a person. It more feels like a landscape or something that was painted with a brush. It's very fascinating. So I met him at his gallery opening. And then I met another woman named Melanie Luna, who was just another artist going to another opening. I met her and I've met so many people through Melanie. 
Melanie has been such a great friend of mine. She's a fantastic painter as well. And she's um, I just recently had a residency at the Macedonia Institute, which is very pro, oh, wow. uh, like well-renowned um, residency in, in New York and upstate. Um, they had people in 2017, like Robert Nava, who's now with Pace and, you know, selling works for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, like that. just, you know, it's about just meeting people, having people know you. You don't, it's, no one's going to know you until you tell them. It's not like someone's just going to find, yeah, maybe someone will, but like no one's going to hear you if you're not talking. Getting your work out there. So um, how has art changed with the rise of social media? And would you recommend that everyone put their work on social media? Basically, essentially what I'm asking at is that do all artists in 2023 um and i'm sure that there are layers to this question but are they all on social media or are some of them just so well known that they don't not need to now have a presence and the their work ultimately speaks for itself you know there is people out there so like i there, there's a guy who has a studio at my studios, like where I have a studio. His name is Tokan, and he is he's fantastic painter. But he's probably has like 200 followers, maybe like 100 followers. But he's selling work in India for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I think yes, there is. I think that it's two sided. I think that there's these new age painters like. I would even maybe put myself in the category of that. It's just like, it's hard to like have those. I, I think Tokan might've gone to a MFA or a BFA and like, you know, you start to meet people and he's older. He's maybe in his forties, fifties. So like right. you start to meet people in a different way. And so like your work is not really matterful with how many followers you have. But now I will say like, when you go and try to talk to galleries, that is one thing that they ask, like, how many followers do you have? And like, mm. yeah, where's your, what's your following look like? And like, what's your work, what's your work look like? How much you've sold? Where have you shown? Mm. So like, the, I think there's aspects to it, but I also think that like, if you have fantastic work, like it doesn't, doesn't really matter that much. Like galleries will pay attention to you. Maybe people won't, but like galleries mm. will like, mm. I see people with like four or 500 followers gal like, big galleries following them Mm, that is very interesting so for again this is particularly pertaining to the person who is on track two yeah um do you once that they have built or have painted a few pieces have Mm -hmm. a collection built up no no, no, no. I know what you're about to ask and no. My my opinion is like, no, just keep working. Keep uh-huh. working. No. You don't have enough work to even have anything of of not a value, but it's like, okay, you made a few pieces, but like like oh, keep going. Like yeah, you might make work mm-hmm. in in a year that's gonna look the absolute opposite and that's your actual style before the stuff that you make at the beginning, like the stuff that I made at the beginning was like, it's good, but it just, it doesn't even look like me. 
Right. So just continuing to put work out and eventually finding your unique style. Uh, yeah. But I also think like, don't need, you don't need to find a style. I'm not like heavy emphasizing on that, but you need to find a way that you understand how you express yourself. Right. I didn't have a fundamental understanding in my own self of how to express on those first few paintings. So they don't feel like me. Mm -hmm. So now do you think that artists should um, represent themselves or, and this is specifically for the people in track two, or they should work with um, directors and curators. Like galleries and stuff. Yeah. What type of route do you recommend? I mean, if you can do it, by yourself do it by yourself dude you don't want to get you don't want to split money with advisors dealers and curators like it's fine you can but it's like gallery say you show in a gallery it's 50 50 right that's the like that's very typical um you most dealers you work with could range from like 10 to 30 percent um, and then sometimes when you're like, if you're not represented by a gallery and you have a show there could be more than 50, right? Like, but if you're represented, like, dude, like you're most of your, most of your work is being sold, not by you. You don't have to worry about it. That's, that's the benefit. I mean, you might sell a lot more work being represented. It's yeah. I, you know, I would love to be represented, but it's like also at the same time, there's a lot more stress to it. I think like, then it becomes a job, you know, right. I think to an extent, then someone can say, I like those blue paintings you've been doing. Let's make more of that. And it's just like, dude, don't tell me that I'm making yeah. whatever I want to make. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. There's more people you have to answer to. It's not even answer to, but it is have question. You. Yes. You have more people question you in general. You don't have to answer them. Right. So kind of, um, how i guess where would you say you are right now in terms of your art career i know that you have a show coming up soon in new york yep. and you mentioned that so back in 2021 was when you really started uh, painting seriously again and kind of how has that process evolved from 2021 to now in 2023 and kind of where do you see your work going and um Yes, please feel free to talk more about your upcoming show. So we're good. Okay, so it's really funny that you say that I started 2021 because like I didn't finish my first painting until March of 2022. So there was a four-month period that I was doing my whole first painting because I didn't fundamentally understand what I really wanted to do. I didn't know what it meant to make a painting. It was like really like challenging mentally because i was fighting a canvas that i had no clue how to fight it was trying to box without having any training but like yourself it's like fighting another guy that doesn't know how to fight either so it's like just slapping each other for the first month um and then after that after that i mean like i dove in deep um like i got a studio in salem massachusetts i still have it actually um and i was you know really blessed to have had a really large studio to be able to work and you know a thousand square feet for you know your first studio is crazy that's insane to me 
because um, my studio now isn't even that. It's like 160 in New York, but it, you know, it's, it's great. Um, so I think now like my work is in a really different place from when I started. I'm starting to feel like I know what I want to do. A lot of my work is heavily bound to like ideas that lay in like surrealism, but also like moments of like primitivism where I like to be really messy. And, but I also like to create things that feel like they could exist in real life, but never should. I like that. And a lot of my work is really deeply um, connected to the poetry that I'm doing. And I've always been doing poetry, but um, you know, it's all, they're all intertwined with each other at this point. And I think they're really developing and maturing. I've been selling a lot more work recently Ever since I got to New York, things have elevated a lot in, in you know, how fast things are moving and in, in the way that I'm doing things. Like I've had, I had a solo show here in February. I'm having a solo show here in December. And, you know, um, I didn't talk about this to anyone yet, um, but I'm also going to be having a solo show in LA in February as well. Um, and that's going to be a very, very important show um, in February. I'm curating a show in December in LA as well um, for the same gallery that I'm going to be showing at. Um, yeah. So lots of, lots yeah. of things moving. Yeah. Um, I do want to touch on one thing for both of those upcoming shows for December, my show in New York. Um, I will talk about this a lot more, but uh, in, in a few weeks, but it's going to be really centered on the themes of New York. Um, it's going to be talking about the beauty and the disgusting of New York. I want to I want to play on the dichotomy of of how beauteous this place is, but how disgusting it is all at the same. The large and the small, and the pain and the pleasure, all of it, all at once. And I think that's that's what tells me New York to me. And so I'm going to give a mirror of New York, a reflection of the people that I've seen. Um, that's going to be my show here. And then in LA, it's going to be very different, very different. Right. I love the concept of the show that you just mentioned showing the dichotomy of New York, because um, what is it? I think I am approaching about week seven or week eight of living yeah. in the city. And it is just, it feels it's like a tale of two cities. Yes, it is a tale yeah. of two cities. It's a weird place. And I am curious to see your perception of New York. And I think that that is such a cool, fun concept slash idea of portraying that within an art show. Yeah, I think it'll be very cool. Um, it'll be very interactive, I think, by that point. So I have a book also that I, I, I think I, I, I want to do it right. So it's right. like pretty much done. I'm I'm like five or six pages out of being done. Um, and it's called Million Mile Motorcycle. Um, and I'll show you. I can actually show you the 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 cover of it here. This is what the cover looks like. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's very cool. Um, so I'm gonna be. I'm going to be putting that out and I hope that it's either going to come out in between those shows or I'll be able to, you know, have the books at one of the shows. Um, so that's another thing that's coming, but February, that show is going to be the most important thing that I've done in my life. Um, I'm going to be painting for 96 hours straight. I'm going to be locked into the gallery space by myself for 96 hours, but there's a few caveats. This is going to be all live streamed. 
um, and and when is this in February? This is in this is in February. I don't have the distinct dates for this yet, but, but this is um, for the LA show. Yeah, it's going to be ninety six hours in a gallery for four. So so four days straight. When I arrive there, I'm going to be painting in the gallery. I'm going to be making the work for the show that's going to be starting after I'm done painting. Right. Um, so this is going to be ninety six hours straight, but from the hours of 10 to 6 p.m. People are allowed to come in and observe and give low-level interactions. We can have some conversations. Don't distract me too much from my work. You can bring me food. You can bring me coffee. Um, I'm also going to have some of my friends. There's a there's a stage in the gallery space. It's a very nice gallery space. Um, I mean, I'm not going to disclose where this is yet, but um, and then. I'm going to have some of my friends play music during the 96 hours. Um, so people are going to be watching. People are going to be enjoying. And anytime I finish a work, it goes away. Nobody gets to see it. So you will only see in-progress works during this time in, in the live stream even. And in addition to that, um, I don't want the work that I'm working on during those 96 hours to be viewed as what you're trying to pay attention to. I am the work. I am what you're observing during the 96 hours. That's all that matters. And then there's going to be a one day break after this is completed, after I've completed and filled the space and done enough works that I view as, as appropriate and fitting for this gallery. Um, I will, it's the space will be closed the next day and I'm going to have a dinner for, you know, some of the people that are close to me as well as some of the people that contributed to the gallery um, and then the next day we'll have the show, I believe, or maybe a day or two later after setup and, uh, the show will go on from, for like three or four weeks. Wow. That's incredible. I am excited yeah. to see how it, unfolds. that's very exciting. Yeah, very Seems excited. Like a lot of things lined up for, you know, the rest of this year and early yeah. next year. I, yeah. I'm very excited. Yes, that's awesome. It's awesome to see that things are moving. Things are moving up. Absolutely. And so I wanted to close off our discussion with um, two remaining questions. So the first one being, whenever you, and I'm just personally curious and I wanted to ask you this. So whenever you are making a painting, do you already mm -hmm. have an idea for the end product and you're working? Oh, backwards? predestination. Or I occasionally going with, you just pick up the brush, start painting and then go from there. I was just curious what, how do you go about doing your work? And also if you want to touch on how you balance everything, you mentioned painting for 96 hours straight, how you, um, balance working as a consultant along with painting mm -hmm. so i think for the the predestined um i guess creation sometimes yeah sometimes i see things like that i'm like yeah, i'm gonna make that diary it's done i'm gonna make that but there's a lot of times where <laughs> There's a lot of times where I just make, I just like, I, I sit down and I just start whatever comes. And just, I just feel it. I, those are the best. I've made the best works like that. I mean, a nine by 12 like that in one day. Um, 
before I left uh, Boston, my last piece there. Uh, I've done lots of things like that. I think it's just how I'm feeling that day or if I've already had a predetermined idea and then I have to do it. Um, but how do I balance things? I don't, I don't balance things. I just, mm -hmm. everything is whatever I want it to be. I take time. You can't make time. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's yeah. it. You take time. You can't make time. Like, you know, I'm going to be painting for 96 hours. I'm going to take PTO um, during that time. But I'm saying like, you know, during the day, like I just make it happen. I paint very late at night. I don't really sleep much. I sleep maybe like three to four hours a night. Um, right. And I love that because I think it goes to show that you, it just goes to show that, you know, you are very internally driven and you, the yeah. work that you make is very meaningful to you and that you are going to get it done no matter what. And I think there's a bigger, there's a bigger point in that in just saying that ultimately if something is important, right, I think this is an overarching theme of this episode that you will get it done no matter what and ultimately being mm -hmm driven or motivated in whatever pursuit it is that one is pursuing yeah, yeah. I, you know I think that it's impartial too that like I just don't see the boundaries that I feel like a lot of other people do it's because like I said I've been I've been bountiful with nothing in my life I've been you know it's it's beautiful the amount of nothing that I had at, at a in the early stages of my existence because now everything that i have is just for me i made it all so i know how to make it again that's why if i lost everything it would be okay i can make it again i did it already in a shorter right. time than a lot of people can do right you ultimately believe in yourself and your ability yeah I'm, exactly like mm -hmm. it would be beautiful to have to do it all over again right Right. You when I was a personal trainer in college, I used to think about I was like, you know, it'd be so cool if I could be fat again, so I could just like chisel away, chisel away again. Yeah. Just yeah. have a new challenge, you know. Mm -hmm. There's um someone there's an entrepreneur who I used to follow back in college and he ultimately would say that if I could if I would to lose it all, I believe in myself and my ability to make it so all so much. Yep. Yeah. And it's same. more the skill set than it is the, it's not, it's, a, it's not luck. It's more of um, becoming the kind of person to execute. Yeah. It's being undeniable. I think that's the other thing about art too. I think being undeniable in every respect will make you undeniable. Someone will always, you can't say no to undeniable. You can even be a dickhead. You could be, right. you could be the worst person, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think like there's something to be said about being undeniable that you'll always, you know, the talent always speaks for itself. But or even even not even the talent, the soft skills, just being determined about being determined. That sometimes it's really just showing up, participating. Not yes. about winning. You don't need to win. There's no winning in the art game at all. It's participating. There's no winning in the love game either. It's participating. Mm-hmm. Yes, showing up is half the battle. More, more than mm -hmm. waking up in the morning. That's the whole battle. Yeah, yeah. Um. So the last question that I wanted to ask you is that, and 
and close out the conversation after this was who are who is your main clientele who are the people for that are purchasing you and your work specifically and kind of do you have an audience in mind or hmm. i have a lot of like varying different people who've bought my work um it's usually people like in the age range of like i would say like 27 to like 40 mm-hmm. um a lot of people are like entrepreneurs own their own businesses own tech companies like startups and stuff um or some people are just like people who like art i had this one girl who bought three pieces for me recently oh she wow. just liked art yeah mm-hmm. but um, i think it's i don't really have an audience i think if you feel it that's enough like i don't really like i don't want you to have it just because you're like this is like something that should uh, like is is cool to have like i want you to have it because like you 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 know how it feels like what it what it makes you feel like because you because they generally like it and would you say in a way they're also um well directly and also indirectly supporting you as well because they like yeah yeah and, and your work and what you kind of embody i think anyone could make my work i don't think anyone could be me though so yeah i think it's about buying a piece of me as well yes i love that well nick this was a wonderful conversation yeah it's great um are there any closing thoughts or comments that you would like to leave the audience yeah listening? Yeah, I think something that's really important since I've moved to New York and just understanding is that, like, you have to go out and meet people if you want to achieve things in life. You can't live in an echo chamber. If you want to do things and you want to experience life to the fullest, you have to meet people. Mm-hmm. You have to meet people and you have to be vulnerable with them in order to see yeah. them. Let them see you if you want to be seen. Right. And I want to add on to that and say that part of putting yourself out there is also comes with the ability to be willing to look foolish. Yes. You should look foolish. Life is fun. Life is funny. Everything. Yes. Because there is no way to really succeed per se without being willing to look foolish and put yourself out there. And as long as you are continuously doing the right things the right people will follow and yep yep and everyone looks dumb the first time Mm -hmm. yes so ultimately i guess what i am getting at is don't be afraid to have a beginner's mentality when people first get started with anything they are going to suck but as long as they are consistent and continue to show up eventually over time, they will get better. And that goes to, and that applies to anything, um, whether it be art or any endeavor. I think I think being not good at something to start is the biggest gift because being good at something to start causes foolery and it causes foolishness and it causes tainted pride. 
And I think it causes you to not even want to achieve things farther outside of them yourself. Talent is bountiful, but talent is ignorance. Yes, most definitely. Well, Nick, thank you for coming on again. This was such a fun episode. I am looking forward to your upcoming shows in December in New York and then the one in January in LA. February. February, excuse me. Where can people find you if you would like to leave a link to your socials? Or um, it's just at underscore Nicholas Cordero, and that's it. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on once again. Thanks, guys.